and uh, uh, you know i was uh, i was literally in tears as we worshiped uh, thinking about the the ways in which god has raised all of us and it's an amazing uh, privilege and honor to walk with other other men and women of god uh, who are walking in the will of god uh, serving him in whatever capacity whatever uh, ways that god is raising each one of us and i'm 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 rejoicing with you this morning as uh, you celebrate 12 years of god's faithfulness as pastor sunny was sharing uh, 12 denotes a, a, a wholeness and uh, it's a, it's a time uh, when we can look back and see uh, god's faithfulness that led us thus far uh, isn't it when you uh, every one of us who are listening to me this morning when you look back and to start looking at uh, what god has done in your life through your life um, so many ways so many things uh, for praising him you know we live in uncertain times there is a growing panic among people around the globe against all predictions and prophecies and anticipations the 2020 has brought more pain sorrows deaths calamities and anxieties into the global stage nations are falling apart economically leaders have no idea how to combat with the growing uh, you know the depression in 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 the in the financial world and the pandemic situations millions have lost their jobs thousands of industries have closed down hospitals are filled with patients schools and colleges are not fun functioning uh, suicidal rates have gone skyrocketing growing levels of stress and anxiety disorders have been noticed among even uh, you know among elementary school children people cannot attend the funerals of uh, even their own dearest family members think about the times that we are living and then start think about in the midst of all these challenges as children of god as people who are filled with the holy spirit people who call themselves as uh, god's own people how do we display god's love peace and joy and light to a world filled with hatred anxiety sorrow and darkness do we ever think we have an important role to play as light and salt in this world in such a time like this have you ever thought about god's ultimate purpose for your life you know people only start thinking when i'm i've been in conversation with a number of people in the last uh, uh, few months particularly some of them are christians for uh, 20 25 years my dear friends started questioning the the whole purpose of life why am i here on earth these are people who have walked with god uh, non god for uh, many many years and people are now questioning what am i here for you know i've been uh, trying to encourage people in singapore in china uh, in different parts of india over phone and you know all the uh, media networks that are available uh, talking to people about some of these things and some things that i have been uh, pondering last few weeks and that's when pastor abraham asked me um, would you share with us in our uh, in our 12th anniversary and i've been asking god god what is that and god has already put a thought in my heart uh, to talk to uh, you know christians of our time um, you know this is not just for you church um, uh, amazing grace it is for all christians who are listening uh, or all, all who are tuned to hear what god is speaking it is a time for us to take stock of our life i call it as a stock taking time you know for you particularly church 
uh, you've been uh, you know, walking in this form uh, format for 12 years. It's a very good time to think back and look at your own life as a church, as a family, as individuals. Where am I in my walk with the Lord? Where am I in my growth as a Christian, as a committed follower of Jesus Christ? So I, I want you to think as we uh, go and meditate through this, uh, uh, this, this morning, I want you to think about uh, your own life. Where do, you, where do you stand in your walk with the Lord? Uh, just give me a second, please. My computer is kind of behaving. Uh, okay. So, um, you know, God created all of us human beings in his image, and he wanted us to represent him as image bearers to the rest of the creation. Isn't what God created us for? When God creating us in his image, we, he wanted us to represent him in this world. However, man's desire to declare independence from God, not only separated man, us from God, but also took the ability to represent God in this creation. But God in his mercy sent his son to represent him fully and perfectly in bodily form through the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus came as the uh, fullness of God in dwelling in him uh, in his bodily form. He is the image of the invisible God and we are bearing, we are being made into his image. So when I look that scripture and I put our purpose together, I see something beautiful because we who have walked away from um, representing God in this world, in this universe, God is bringing us back by bringing his son, who is the fullness of God, and telling us, look at him and be like him. He is actually showing to us this beautiful mystery of sending himself uh, in the bodily form and saying that here is my son and I want every one of you to look like him. If we actually have to put our purpose of life, I believe, you know, worship and everything, of course, we are going to worship him. Worship comes out of that, that, that close relationship with him. Uh, because we reflect his nature, his character. That is one of the reasons we worship him. Because when we look at God, or we, uh, you know, he started seeing himself in us. We started seeing, we start seeing uh, him in us and we worship him because he created us in his image. In that sense, you know, when I look at Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, what I see is actually a shadow of what is going to come because God was ordering everything and telling that I'm going to create you in my image. And in chapter two, we see the Garden of Eden. It's another reflection of God's presence in a, uh, in a family. So we are going to continue to reflect that throughout the eternity. For this morning's meditation, I want you to uh, turn to the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. Uh, most of the time we read uh, it to teach on leadership. And I want to look at this from a totally different angle. Uh, you know, I've probably spent most of my time uh, in the New Testament studying uh, the book of Ephesians because I think this is like a, uh, is a manuscript for Christian living. You know, if I have to, uh, you know, share the gospel with someone and we don't have a Bible in the, their language or, you know, uh, and there's no scriptures available, I would probably give them Genesis 
one of the gospel and book of ephesians to me why i'm saying is that whatever you want in life on this part of the eternity is been kind of summarized in this book from the time of creation to the to the spiritual warfare that we're going to do everything paul kind of puts in the six chapters few verses and when i look at that it of course there is a lot of leadership lessons we can learn but i want you to look at from a, a little more uh, more uh, you know angle today morning uh, let's read from 11 to uh, 16 and then we'll go from there it was he who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers in order to prepare god's people for works of service so that the body of christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of god and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of christ then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming instead speaking the truth in love we will all uh, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is christ from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does it works you know um as pastors and teachers we often uh, talk about this passage as a leadership thing you know churches god has blessed church with the leadership we talk about um you know these leadership gifts i want to look at this passage this morning from the purpose for which this uh, this leadership is given because anything god ordains in this world is for a purpose and the purpose is more important because because of the purpose is why god ordains something it's not about calling okay we are leaders in you know, a church as apostles and pastors and teachers of course they are there but if you actually miss out the purpose for which that leadership gift in the church is given we are missing out the very purpose for which god is ordaining that office or what that uh, function is so this morning i want to talk a little bit about growth a christian maturity and that is what i want to talk about you know there are certain things that goes in our life that shows whether we are maturing or not growth is inevitable to all living organisms when we cease to grow we begin to die it is the basic principle of nature any living organism without growth it is going to die when a person come to christ he or she is born as a baby christian in the kingdom from then on our growth begins God has made provisions in the body uh, for every Christian to grow. As Paul writes in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul talks in detail about various stages of a Christian from the time of his new birth until he becomes fully mature, producing the result of his maturity. Think about this: we are part of the body of Christ, and we cannot be living in the body of Christ as dysfunctional. you know um as medical doctors i have a lot of medical doctors as friends uh, there is one organ in our body is called appendix you know why it's called appendix because the doctors cannot really explain why it exists 
And so uh, even though there are, um, you know, medical studies now have come up with saying that appendix has its own function and uh, maybe it is dormant after a certain time. And, you know, even if you remove, it wouldn't affect you. But, you know, in the body of Christ, there is no appendices. There is no appendix in the body of Christ. Every part of the body is placed in the body of Christ to function in a certain form. And think about it, each one of you as part of the body of Christ. Each one of you are called to be a part, a member in the body to function so that the body will be functioning. Think about a body without, fun. you know, these days my heart has been troubled a lot by the looking at the, the church in a global setting and particularly in Indian city. Why it has been bothering me is that more than 80 to 90% of the church members are sitting idle as pew warmers in the church, in the body of Christ. They are dysfunctional. They are not growing into the maturity to which God is calling us to. And I want to confess this morning, and I, I'm sure Pastor uh, Abraham would agree with me on that. We as leadership of the church has failed miserably in identifying people's growth and helping them to grow into this. Paul, in his letter, he's talking about this is the purpose which the de designing of the leadership in the church is given so that making sure, so that we can make sure the every part of that body in which God is placing us in the leadership is functional and is growing to fulfill their destiny and the purpose for each of those people. And, you know, I, I believe that why leadership is also very important is because we, if we fail, we not only fail in our own duty, we fail to see God's people coming into the potential which God has called them to. When people are failing to grow into the purposes of God, it is not just their failure. It is a failure of the leaders under which God placed them. It is our failure. And we have to take a moral and, uh, uh, you know, and a spiritual responsibility for those failures. And think about a room, a house that has been built. Does anyone build a room without function? You know, two years ago, God has helped us to build a house. And we were very careful in planning every nook and corner, everything uh, that is in the house. I don't remember putting a single piece of metal or a, or a, or a thing in the house without assigning or designing its function because everything in the house is built to function in certain way you know every room every small places every small nook and corner is designed in the house for a purpose and that purpose is fulfilled only when that house is functional fully I don't know any of you want to build a, a, an apartment or a house in Bangalore and say that, oh, you know, we just built it. Uh, we just wanted a room um, just, to, just to be there. We don't do that. Everything, everything is made for a purpose. So this morning, you know, I want you to think about it. 12 years of work as an amazing grace fellowship, as a church, as a body of Christ in this area. I want you to think as a church from the leadership side, how are we maturing? This is a good time, the great time to look back and see how are we maturing? What are the marks of our maturity? There should be some pointers that telling us that here is a mark that we are maturing. And as families, 
I want you to think about it. How as families of Christian faith, how are we maturing? As individuals, how am I maturing? So this is what I want to share with you. I have a few pointers that, I mean, this is not an exhaustive list, but I was meditating on this for a couple of weeks. And I just want to share about seven pointers, seven marks that helps us to identify whether we are maturing in Christ or not. If these pointers are missing in our life, we can actually start thinking, I am not maturing into what God wants me to. And this is the time for me to think back, think about and go back to God. God, I really want to grow. And, you know, together as a church leadership to sit together and say, hey, our families are, need to mature. They need to grow. How can we help? This is kind of a time to stop take uh, for this congregation. And that's what I want to share with you. And the number one mark is our dependence on God increase. So one of the clearest signs of growing in maturity as a Christian is that our dependence is moving away from us. You know, all the philosophies in this world teaches us to be more and more self-confident and independent. Don't you, don't you think so? Everybody's uh, building people to be more and more independent, self-dependent and self-sufficient. Christian faith and the values of the kingdom of God is teaching us not to depend on me, but to depend on God for every single thing. As we start growing as a Christian, the clearest sign is that even for the smallest need of my life, do I place my trust in God? It is it is a one clear mark. And Paul says, you know, in Galatians chapter 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. No more I live, but Christ lives in me. That is a sign of Christian maturity that I did not start depending on myself for my provisions, for my strength, for anything that I need in this part of my life, whether for my family, my job, my ministry, my dependence is solely on God. You know, the great uh, missionary who went to, uh, to China, Hudson Taylor, uh, he, he, his one of the fam famous statements that he made is this, God's work done in God's way shall not lack God's supply. You know, when people kept asking him, how are you going to make this happen? He kept telling them, God's work done in God's way shall not lack God's supply. God is my strength. He is my refuge. He is my salvation. He is my everything. Apart from me, apart from him, I have no good thing. David confessed, and I think it's in Psalm 16, apart from him, I have no good thing. And Jesus says in, uh, in, uh, in John 15, you can do nothing without me. Are we come to that stage where we are saying, God, what I am and what I do is fully on you. Where is your dependence? Is it in your work? Is it in the salary that you get a month to month? Is it uh, on people? Is it in the abundance that you create for yourself? Where is your dependence? Your abilities, your achievements, your strengths, or your complete dependence is on Christ. As a growing Christian, we grow more and more depending on God. It doesn't mean we have we don't have to plan anything. You know, someone, I think it is uh, Billy Graham who said that every day 
I work as if everything depends on me, but I go to my prayer room and I confess to God, everything depends on you, God. Planning versus praying. He says, God is giving me the wisdom to plan things, but I totally am surrendered, dependent on his will to do everything. Our maturity is in when we start depending on him fully. Secondly, <clears throat> we start growing, you know, a second marker of our growth is that we grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We start growing in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because again, it's very connected to the first point because uh, as we are going more and more dependent on God, it also allows the Holy Spirit to start working in us. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit by name, it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is not mine. You know, I can produce certain amount of love without having the Holy Spirit. But it has limitations. And, you know, when we look at people around the, you know, around the world who are not Christians, they do love, they do have some peace, they do have some joy, but it is all limited. It is not coming out of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is coming out of self. And that is why it is not only limited, it is also, uh, it, 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 you know, it cannot go beyond a certain limit to, you know, it is, it is dependent on the self. And what is dependent on the self is only selfish, isn't it? What we call, you know, it's dependent on the, myself. It is coming out of selfish ambitions, selfish motivations. It cannot bless other people in the way God wants it to be. We are limited. Whereas in Christ, what happens in Galatians 5.22, it talks about, uh, you know, those who walk according to the will of the uh, flesh cannot produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But those who are going to live in the Holy Spirit, keeping step with the Holy Spirit, you know, that keeping step with the Holy Spirit is an amazing phrase. It is like every single step I want to keep with the Holy Spirit. As a little child, when he start learning to walk, hanging on the hands of the father, every step is kept, you know, as the father keeps a baby step, the baby keeps his step. And that is how, as a Christian, we should be growing, that we start producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes um, we, as Christian leaders, fail to think this way. We think that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are marks of Christian maturity. You know, as I was looking and preparing for this uh, meeting, uh, I was going through the book of Corinthians. One of the things that Paul sees in the church of Corinth is that they are filled with all kinds of gifts. They are everything that you can do. They are speaking in tongues. They are prophesying. They have, um, you know, they have all kinds of gifts that is mentioned. Everything they have, but Paul calls them infants. People who do not grow. What is it that Paul is addressing? And he brings in for 12 chapters, he's talking about all the issues in the church. He says, you have apostles, okay, you call yourself this, that, that, and you know, all kinds of credits to you. But when you come to Christian growth, you are not growing. You are, I can't even address you like an adult. I have to tell you that you're infants, you're babies. Why? Because you lack the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And he sandwiches this chapter, chapter 13 of the, the, the the, the chapter of the love. And he says that you lack this. One of the clearer markers of Christian growth 
is production production of the the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you know, Paul talks about he calls them infants and babies who need milk. Then he brings the you know this message and he talks to him to them that the love, the kind of love that you should have. He 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 talks to, to in detail when this love starts manifesting in you. You're going to be a changed person. I I don't have time to explain all that uh, Paul describes, but you know, let me let me give you one one example. Uh, what happens? What kind of love uh, it, it produces? Let me turn to First uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen. Here is Paul talking about. He says, "Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy." These are different qualities. You know, these are opposing qualities. For example, uh, you know, impatience or rudeness, or you know, opposite of kind, um, being envious. These are all products of ourselves. When we do not live in Christ, these are things that we produce. And Paul is saying the opposite start producing in you when you are actually growing in maturity, in love. Love manifests in multifold way. It does not rejoice in the evil, but rejoices with the truth. Can you think about that one phrase? How do we know whether love is growing in us? I keep talking to people and I, I ask them, you know, let me give you an example. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. That one phrase, I want to uh, expound a little bit about it. There are, you know, for example, if say, um, I'll take my case, if somebody uh, beats me up, okay, and um, um, for some reason, and I, as a Christian, um, I should, maybe because I'm a Christian, they are beating, up, beating me up. And then this person goes beating me up and then takes his car and goes and have an accident. What kind of feeling comes to my mind? Oh, I'm a child of God. He beat me up. He got his reward. Right? That is my natural sense. And we start praising God. God, you gave him back. Do you know where it comes from? It comes from the self. Because I get a self-satisfaction of the evil that has happened to him. And here is Paul talking about it. Love does not rejoice in evil. It doesn't matter whom it happens. Evil is evil. I do not rejoice in that evil. I am immediately shocked when Christ's love comes in me and I want the first person to reach out to those people. You know, I was in Indonesia a few years ago. Um, as, a, as a Christian delegation, we went to the part um, of Indonesia. You must have heard about Aceh province. It's in the, uh, it's in the Sumatra island. And um, in Aceh province, there's a Muslim majority, radical Muslims. And uh, there were a lot of murders of pastors happened. Churches been been burned out. And this is just before tsunami. And then came, then came tsunami. Some 22 pastors were killed just before tsunami in that place. And a lot of people actually started talking about it around the world, saying that because they have done so bad to the Christians and they are getting paid back. 220,000 people, 220,000 people died in Aceh province alone in tsunami. Can you imagine the, 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 the depth of destruction that has happened? There was a man uh, with a Muslim name. He, he became Christian. He changed his name to Paul. Paul was uh, you know, down south in Medan. And when he heard about the Aceh province, he was a pastor in Aceh province. And he was kicked out for his pastoral work there as a Muslim convert. And he went back 
immediately when he heard about this whole thing, the tsunami, he took a delegation of his church members from Medan, gone all the way up to the northern part and started giving them fresh water to drink. That was the most immediate need. He carried, you know, tons of water, you know, cans, and then he started giving them this. And there is a, a radical group of um, people called Hezbollah. It's not the Hezbollah in the Middle East. Hezbollah is a moral police. They are claim themselves to be like a military, uh, hundreds of thousands of people. And they are actually the one who actually manage the religious affairs of the country. Anybody who does any conversion, they go and uh, talk to people and they even, uh, they're kind of a military, but they are not government military. So this Hezbollah is a very fighting group and uh, they actually almost manage everything that happens in Aceh province. And Hezbollah commander in Medan also took a delegation of people to help there in Aceh. The moment he went there, he saw Paul feeding the people who, who persecuted them and uh, uh, beaten them up. And he, he was so shocked to see Paul coming back and doing this to the Muslims who have actually uh, inflicted a lot of torment on them. And so this Muslim uh, commander, uh, Hezbollah commander, goes and asks Paul, Paul, why do you do this? And Paul with a smile said, this is the difference between Allah and Jesus. Jesus taught me to forgive those who torment us, persecute us. And from that moment onward, this Hezbollah commander said, well, we want to work with you. And we want to help these people who are affected. So they were doing this work two years later or three years later. We were in Indonesia. This Hezbollah commander came to know that the Christian delegation from about 10, 12 different nations have come to his city. He wanted to honor Paul and his team and ask Paul to bring this delegation for a dinner in this their camp. So you have to remember, this is a huge camp of Hezbollah leaders. 10,000 army leaves there. And they're all carrying AK-47s and all kinds of guns. And it's come, you know, surrounded by the people. And we are led into this place. We have no idea why we are going there for this dinner. I mean, I was in fact, you know, a little bit troubled. I didn't know what is going to happen there. And as we went into this place, they put a beautiful, you know, Indonesian dinner, fantastic food. Uh, everything that I like is on the table. And then uh, we all sat down on the floor. And I started looking at this uh, uh, man, the commander in chief, 10,000 army he works under. He took the mic and he, he's sitting down with some 25, 30 people and he started sharing. And he said, this man, Paul, he lived a different life. He's a changed man. I can see the difference in his life. And he said, I want to invite you for this meal because when you come to our camp and participate in this meal, I want to ask you, please forgive us for what we have done in the name of your God, Jesus. Unbelievable. And then he started weeping. And I thought, God, this is what we ought to leave. This is the kind of growth that we have to display as Christians. Do we grow in that kind of love in everyday life? Where people can see, obviously, in my life and say, I do live that life. I want to walk by the spirit. What is the kind of fruit in us? What is the kind of fruit that we are producing? Do we produce the fruit that lasts, that people can see? Jesus said, let your good deeds be seen by the people and praise God. That is something that directs people into the heavenly father. We as Christians fail to produce fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We lose our ability to witness who God is. Maturity brings fruit and more and more fruit in us.
Thirdly, we grow in our discernment. You know, this is something that we often forget about. We often forget about what is discernment. Here is what Paul is talking about. In that is that is our prime passage that I read this morning. The maturity brings in uh, in, in discernment in us. When the, the passage that we read this morning goes like this: God has given this leadership in the church so that everybody may be prepared to maturity to help them to grow into maturity. Pastors and leaders in the church who are listening to me, I want to tell you that your role is not just to pastor, to feed the people, but to make sure that the flock that are under your care that God has put into, to, so they are growing into maturity, into a place where they started start discerning the spiritual aspect of their life. They are not tossed back and forth by any teaching and any cunning and craftiness of the people that comes to their life. You bring them into a level where they start discerning for their lives what decision they should take. Not to run to you for every single decision that they take. Pastor, what should I do for this? Pastor, I'm hearing this. What should I do? That is not the purpose for which we are being given the pastors and teachers, apostles and prophets. We are not being given in the church so that they can run to us, but, but we can run to them and tell them that you need to grow in this area. You know, today, uh, I'm so saddened by the way prophetic ministry is being used in the church. God definitely gives prophetic gifting in the church so that people can be matured. People can be uh, spoken into their life to grow them into the maturity. We are now making them dependent on us. I know hundreds of Christians, they only will do anything in their life only after they hear a prophet speak to them. And I feel they are so handicapped. What would you do if you don't have an access to a prophet? You let yourself fail? I keep telling people, you don't need to go to a prophet. Of course, you know, God has given uh, prophetic ministry in the church. But you don't need to go to them. They can be used, you can be useful in the church to speak in your life what God is already speaking to you. If God is not speaking to you and you're only dependent on that prophet, well, there is a chance that you might take a decision because he or she told you and you find out that that was not the decision that God wanted you to, wanted you to take. Remember, uh, Paul, uh, the Agabus is a, is a New Testament professor, uh, prophet. He comes to a place in Philip's house. He's prophesying. Here is Paul and everybody's like uh, hearing Agabus prophecy and say, Paul, don't go. You know, you know, you heard the prophetic word. You don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to die. You know, this is going to be happening to you. Well, Paul, mature Christian. He displays his spiritual maturity. He said, well, I know it. He's speaking for the right thing. And I'm going for that purpose. I, I know God has already spoken this thing to me, not only to be arrested, but also to die. This is confirmation of what God has already spoken to me. That is spiritual maturity. Now I want you to think about it as pastors and leaders. You know, we are here to help people to grow into maturity until every one of them grow in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of Christ. We want to make sure that everybody starts looking like Christ in their attitude, their words, their lifetime. Isn't that what God has given the spiritual gift in the church? 
not to boast about. You know, in the last few months, we have been dealing with a group of people who are going through extreme struggles because of this passage. Because there is a group of people who want to display their leadership by bossing over the church. And people are being so affected by that. And they, they just want to inflict on them their leadership, you know, like, you know, like putting them on a burden on them. And they claim that, you know, we are apostles. We hear from the Lord. You must hear from us rather than telling them you must hear from God. We need to prepare people for that work where people are start listening from the Lord. And Paul says in, the, in verse 14 onwards, he says that when people come to maturity, they will not be tossed back and forth like a pendulum from here to that side. They will actually be stay stronger and they will resist the devil. They will flee from temptation. They will be able to discern what is right and what is evil. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, it says, but solid food for is the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You see the maturity? When solid food is eaten by the people, they come to maturity and they are able to discern what is good and what is evil. Do you want your church members, your younger Christians who are new in the faith, to be dependent on you or you want to make them more and more dependent on God. You make them dependent on God, they will become mature. And that is what is the third sign of maturity, growing in discernment. Mature plants, look at the mature plants. They are not affected by the heat of the day, nor the power of the wind. The more they grow upward, the more they grow deeper and deeper in their root. It's nature displaying us what is happening. Mature trees don't fall. They just stand every storm and every wind and every sun's uh, heating, you know, he, the flame. They are, they are able to withstand because they are growing deeper and deeper as they growing bigger and stronger and taller. They are, you know, in Psalm 1, it says the blessed people, the blessedness of the people, they are like the tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaves does not wither. They are ready to be fruitful in season and out of season. Fourthly, we start growing in humility. We start growing in humility. One of the clearest signs of Christian maturity is that, again, we start growing in humility. In Philippians 2, it talks about Jesus' attitude. You know, when we look at Jesus being son of God or God himself equal to God in heavenlies, as he comes down, as he is coming down, he's coming into the form of a human being. And then as he comes to the earth, he lives in the obscurity, in the poverty, in the side where he's becoming a slave of all. And then he goes into death on the cross. His growth is a, you know, in a worldly sense, it's a downward growth. Do you see that? Jesus being God is growing into human being and growing into a slave and growing into death. You know, in the world, isn't that's absolutely ridiculous. How can you grow into a downward growth? But here is the quality of Jesus' growth. He's becoming more and more and more and more humble in his growth. God being human, being slave and to death on the cross. 
Usually when we grow in knowledge, we become prouder, don't we? Because if I'm, a, if I'm a good doctor, an experienced doctor, 30 years of knowledge in treating cancer, I, chances are that I can become more and more prouder. Because, you know, I'm now who's who in this, in this area. That's natural pattern in the world. But however, as Christians, when we grow, we grow more and more humble. Um, I, you know, this is again not a theology, but I, I want to tell you in looking at Paul's life, Early life was Paul's life. Paul claims to be an apostle in his journey. As he goes more and more, you know, his journey, he calls himself as a brother in Christ. He says, I'm a co-servant with you. And towards the end of his life, when he writes to Timothy, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. His identity, his identity, I mean, this is again, I'm, I'm not going to claim here anything as a, you know, is theologically sustainable thing thought or anything. I'm just tell, telling you that when I look at Paul's life, his claim of his own life changes. He starts looking at the grace of God that comes to him and maturity that comes to him and as he starts identifying himself as a chief of sinners. No more claims of apostle. No more claim of a position or power. He comes and becomes a slave of all. This is Jesus' life. Growing in humility. How are we growing? Are we growing in our humility? In our relationship with other people? Do people look at us and say, he's a humble man of God? People, a lot of people uh, kind of claim it. Uh, but uh, when we look at their life, we know it stinks. The pride is there in their talk, in their attitude. You know, uh, people claim uh, so much about humility, but they don't have it. We can see it. The one of the marks of humility is the uh, in, in is in that that we are the only people who shouldn't be knowing that we are humble. If the moment we know we are humble, it's the beginning of pride, isn't it? You know, sometimes I've used this crude example. I said, it is like the smell of the sweat of our body. We are the only people who does not know about it. Everybody else knows this, he stinks when he walks into the room. We don't stink ourselves. That is something like humility. We're the only people who does not, should not be knowing we are humble. Can people look at our life and say, he's a humble servant of God. Humility is mark of his life. Fifthly, we start displaying servanthood, very connected to humility, but it is another aspect of our life. We start really serving people. Jesus towards the end of his life, do you know how he displayed the extent of his love that John says in John 13? John says he, he, he showed the greatest, the extent of his love by washing the feet of his disciples. In, in a way, we may not understand what it really means. In the Jewish culture, a person who washes the feet of the disciple is the lowest servant of the house. If you have different levels of servants who are somebody who's managing something inside in the house, you know, managing the estate affairs, there are different levels of it. And there is the one who is really of no value, no rights, no, um, uh, no privileges. His job is just the, the meanest job in the house. 
And as Jesus comes to his end of his life, that is where he grows into. He shows the full extent of his love towards them by serving them. He goes and he, you know, he, he can imagine in this big upper room where um, John and uh, Peter has is the chief leaders who prepared because I think it's Mark's gospel. He called Jesus calls John and John and Peter and tell them go and prepare. Um, in some gospels say two of his disciples, but in one of the gospels it says that John and Peter, these are the chief leaders. You know, they are the kind of people uh, who claims to be leadership among the group. And he tells them go and prepare this whole meal. And they are, you know, chief among them. And maybe they are using other people. And because the rabbi is going to come and to have this um, last meal, and everybody is sitting around in the Jewish setting. You know, uh, everyone is sitting around in a in a in a circle and. Um, um, Everybody is now looking at because you're supposed to go and wash the feet before you come and sit. Now, can you imagine Peter thinking, I mean, I'm one of the chief leaders here. Why would I wash the feet of anyone? I'm not going to do it. And this is not their house, by the way. And they can't claim uh, some other servants to wash. Here is one of them need to wash it because they are the only people there. now. And everybody's looking at each other and they said, okay, forget it. We will not wash the feet. We will not do anything because no one wants to take that place of servanthood. Here is Jesus. And I like the way John portrays it. Jesus takes off his outer garment. What does his outer garment talk about? Power, position, authority, respect. He's the rabbi of all those people. He just takes it out. He just said, I don't, I don't care about this anymore. I don't want it anymore. Yes, you call me rabbi, teacher, Lord, master. You call me all this. I am, but I don't care about it anymore. And then he wraps a towel. And that's a sign of the lowest servant in the house around his waist. And that is how the slave who washes the feet of the people in the house walk in their home every day. When the master comes, he runs to them and washes the feet so that he's clean when before he enters the home. And Jesus does exactly that. He goes and takes that washing the feet of the disciples. You know, a few years ago, we were uh, having a dialogue with a Muslim uh, group of people from Indonesia, Malaysia, and Singapore in Singapore University a few years ago. Again, 18 uh, Christian leaders from a uh, few countries came together and 18 Muslim leaders came. These are the elite class of Muslim leaders from Malaysia, Indonesia, and Singapore. And we were having this dialogue on interfaith issues that the Malaysian Christians and Malaysian Muslims and uh, uh, Indonesian people are going through. So there, there are some very big figures in this people. And one of the uh, people in my group uh, in those 18, when we divided into four different groups, uh, nine people, we were mixed Christians and uh, uh, Hindus, uh, sorry, Muslims. And in our breakout session, um, we were not supposed to use Bible. We were not supposed to use Quran, but have a, a very friendly talk with the issues that we are facing because they were not, we were not supposed to uh, have any arguments in that. In one of the meeting, and uh, you know, happened to be one of the learned teachers, a PhD scholar, a Muslim lady who teaches in Indonesia was in my group. She started talking about something and she asked me one big question. She asked me this question. How can we, you be absolutely sure making exclusive claims about anything and not be proud about it? Because Christians claim exclusive claims about Jesus. Jesus is the only way 
Jesus is the uh, only door. You know, we make exclusive claims. Muslims do that too. They believe Allah is the only God. That is their confession of faith. And we know that the, uh, how it led to so much of um, conflicts between the two faiths. And her question is much more deeper. She said, if you're making an exclusive claim, there is chance that you can't serve other people. You have to show your bossiness, your, your, um, your power in order if you are exclusive. And I turned around to her and said, well, I'm sorry to tell you uh, to quote your scripture. This is where I see Jesus is different. And I quoted this passage from um, John chapter 13. She had read the Bible several times and she you know, argues against Christian faith. And I said, this is where I see Jesus as different because here is Jesus who, is, who claims to be who God is and who claims to be all powerful. He comes and washes the feet of the disciple by humbling himself, serving other people. And I gave her an example, you know, why Jesus did it. You know, John is amazing. John put these three words. He said, when Jesus knew where he comes from, where he's going to, and what he's come for, what are they talking to? That is where your identity dwells in, where you come from, and where you're going to, and what you came for. When you are so confident about your purpose, God-designed purpose, where your, your origin, your destiny, your significance will give you your identity in Christ. And when Jesus had absolutely no conflict in his identity, he was willing to serve at any capacity. And I gave her this example. Think about this, Malaysia as a Sultan. It's a king, a Malaysian king, kingdom of Malaysia, it's order. And think about it, the Malaysian king has a son who knows that he is the son of the Sultan. He is the prince, crown prince for the next uh, power, you know, in charge of the power. He has absolutely no problem going to any slum cluster in Malaysia and serving any poor at any point of time in his life. You know why? Because he is not bothered about his identity. No one can take away his identity of being the prince. He's confident about his identity. Because of that, he can serve anyone. And think about the same uh, Sultan has a son, but he does not know whether he's the true son. Neither the father confirms nor the son knows. What will he do? He will do in everything in his capacity to tell the people that he is the prince. He will walk in the, he will drive the best car in the city. He will wear the best clothes in the, available in the market. He will boss around people and tell them that I am the prince. That's the huge difference. When we are confident about our identity in Christ, we have no problem serving any people. How is we as Christians serving? You know, Jesus is not calling us to be servants of God. This might actually surprise you. He calls us to be servants of people. We are children of God, servants of people. It is a mind-blowing idea, a thought, that we are called to serve people, not serve God. We are children of God. In the presence of God, we go not as servants. We call and call an upper father. We, get, we enter in the presence of God as children of God. But when we go to people, we tell them we are here to serve you. 
We are not here coming as children of God, but we are coming to uh, you as servants of you, servants of people. Look at Paul's life. I am here to serve you. Here is Jesus, who is the King of kings, Lord of lords, comes to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Instead of servitude, we move into servanthood. Look at the politicians around us. They call themselves public servants. But do you ever see them serving others? Complete contrast of what they call themselves ministers. Servants, public servants, but they don't serve, but they want people to serve them. You know, their bag is carried by somebody, they're driven by somebody. You know, people are going in front of them, back of them, side of them. Everywhere there are people applauding them as leaders. That is how they project their identity, not by serving. But a Christian who's maturing, our attitude to serving increases. I remember this famous statement from Jim Elliot, who went into Ecuador among the Aka community. And he says before he goes in his diary, he writes, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. His life he knew, he cannot keep it. I'm going to give it away because I know what I'm going to get. I cannot lose it. The ultimate step of our servanthood is dying for others. Mother Teresa lived her entire life serving people and died serving people. From the age of some 17 or something, she came as a single woman. From the, you know, then the, the one of the only atheist countries of the world, Albania, he comes to India. She, she changed the whole uh, map of spiritual atmosphere of Calcutta. I think it was uh, Bill Clinton, or I think, I, I don't remember which, which of these presidents, uh, when um, he was interviewed by one of the news channels, and soon after, Mother Teresa got Nobel Peace Prize. And Mother Teresa was a very big critic of um, then American president. And uh, some of the uh, people, the interviewing the president asked, after Mother had to say, uh, all that she had to say, what is that you're going to reply to her? The president of America looked at the, uh, the, the news report and said, after seeing a life so well lived, I have nothing to say. When our life is well lived in serving other people, people have nothing to complain against us. Servanthood. Sixthly, we become reproducing Christians. You know, one of the mark of maturity is reproduction. Think about in nature, whether it is in plants or animals or human beings. We can't reproduce without being mature, right? Reproduction is part of maturity. Only a mature plant can become reproductive. Same with all creatures. Reproduction is part of maturity. Hundreds of Christians are sitting in churches for tens of years without reproducing a single new Christians. Around the globe, this is the statistics. 80, 20, you heard about the equation. It is there in the church too. Probably church is even higher. I would call a, even a 90-10. of the people are the people who are reproducing in the church. 90% of them are sitting idle as pew warmers. 
They come every way and they claim to be, I'm 40 years Christian. Let me ask you a question. Please don't think that I'm pinpointing on anyone here. You've been part of this church for 12 years. Are you a reproducing Christian? How many, how many people have you shared the gospel with? How many people have you led to Jesus? You know, people talk about Chinese church growth. And, uh, I, you know, one other thing I can talk about Chinese church growth is because the Chinese Christians are reproducing Christians. Even as young uh, Christians as they are, they become immediately, you know, in some way, God has given them this maturity to reproduce. In our Chinese group that I pastored in, uh, in, in China for 10 or 11 years, uh, I don't remember any single person I have um, shared the gospel and brought them. Every single people have come to them, to our group, with whom I discipled and led them to grow, uh, is come through a new believer who became a Christian and reproduced. Every, every single Christian in, in those small groups are reproducing Christian. They go and share and live out the Christian faith that they come to and they start reproducing. 11 years of our experience is a testimony of the, the church growing. Paul in Ephesians 4 talks about leadership gift again, you know, the thing we talked about. Unfortunately, we pastors and teachers have failed miserably in helping people reproducing Christians. You know, sometimes people think reproduction is pastor's job, shepherd's job. Have you ever seen shepherd giving birth to sheep? I have not seen it, at least. I see shepherds helping, assisting sheep to produce other sheep. Shepherd's job is to make sure that the sheep is growing in maturity to a place where they are become reproductive. That is same in the church. We are the sheep and God has given many shepherds among us. Their job is to help us to grow into maturity where we start reproducing. And the seventh sign of maturity, mature Christians, never stop growing. It is a continuous growth. You don't stop at a place where we say, well, I've now become mature. I don't have any more place to grow. You never stop growing until we reach eternity. You know what Paul says in Corinthians and other passages, he says, when we see him, we shall be like him. Until then, this growth is going to continue. We are growing more and more and more. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, not that I have attained or made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. I am continuing my journey of growth. Paul, towards the end of his life, he doesn't claim to attain the perfection. Perfection is impossible in this side of the eternity. You don't become a perfect Christian. Discipleship does not have a, a graduation ceremony. You can graduate from a Bible school. You can graduate from a course, but you cannot graduate from discipleship. You know why? We continue to grow. Every single day, there is a growth. Identifying that I have some more area to grow is also a, a mark of maturity. 
Which are the areas, God? Show me, God. Every time I go into prayer, when I talk to another Christian friend, another pastor or a or leader in the church, my attitude should be, Pastor, please help me in other areas that I can't find myself, that I'm not growing. You know, a New Testament has some 52 occurrences of one another passages. Have you ever thought about it? Why is New Testament talk so much about one another? Love one another, correct one another, encourage one another, build one another, uh, rebuke one another. You know, this, this whole, whole thing about Christian maturity comes through this one another aspect. Yes, we do have a vertical relationship with God, but our horizontal relationship is absolutely important for our growth. That is where we start seeing areas where I'm not mature enough in my interpersonal relationship. I cannot be an island Christian a secluded Christian and grow into maturity. I need other people to tell me, look at my eyes and tell me, Manoj, you have this area, you're struggling, you need to grow there. You know, all through my Christian life, I have decided to keep certain number of people, not one mentor or one pastor, a number of uh, growing uh, Christians, mature than me, I've asked them personally, gone into their rooms and I asked them, could you please guide me in my growth? I have five or six of them every single time of my life. From the time I was 15 or 16, I started this journey like that. Because early in my life as a Christian, I identify without the help of other people, I cannot grow into maturity. Even today, I have, a, I have four or five people who calls me up every month or twice a month and talks to me about my walk with the Lord. And they keep helping me to, first of all, be rooted in the word. Second of all, to identify areas where I need to read, uh, to grow as a Christian. And that really helps me. There is no graduation, as I said, in the school of discipleship until eternity. And we shall be like him when we see him face to face. Until then, this journey must continue. Let me ask you, my friends, brothers, sisters, are you growing every day? Or are you come to a place of stagnant, uh, like a stagnant waters? Stagnant waters can immediately, uh, you know, uh, get spoiled, corrupted. If we are not flowing, if we are not continuing to flow, our, our life is going to start stinking. As a Christian, we need to grow continuously. You know, I'm, I remember a few years ago hearing the story um, an old man in his 80s is taking class, a mature Christian is taking a class to young people, young adults um, about um, sexuality and talking about, um, uh, you know, growing in growing uh, in maturity and talking about staying away from temptations. And so uh, somebody asked him, oh, um, pastor, after being 80 years old now, um, have you, uh, you know, how are you? Uh, are you, have you overcome? Uh, you know, can you tell us uh, how do we overcome those temptations? You know what his answer was? When I get there, I will tell you. When I get there, I will tell you. He identifies at the age of 80, he has the same temptations that an 18 year old has. And that identifying that I have not come to a maturity where, where I cannot fall anymore. We don't get to that place. That is another a mark of our maturity. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 
1, 5 to 11 says, for this reason, very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. A step-by-step -step growing. You're not going to stop anywhere. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that means not at a place of uh, completion, but in an increasing measure, growing, ever-growing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It helps us from being, when you start growing, it helps us from being ineffective and unproductive. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to continuously grow in our spiritual walk with Lord. You know, um, there is a, a Presbyterian minister, um, McCartney, um, I, I think he lived in 1857 to some 1900s. Uh, uh, he, was a, he was well known for his, uh, uh, his oratory skills and, uh, uh, you know, helping the Presbyterian church. Uh, he wrote this lines, let me read it to you. Between an airplane and every other form of locomotion and transportation, there is one great contrast. The horse and wagon, the automobile, the cycle, the locomotive, the speedboat, and the great battleship all can come to a standstill without danger. And they can all reverse their engines or their power and go back. But there is no reverse about the engine of an airplane. It cannot back up. It does dare not stand still. If it loses its momentum and forward drives, then it crashes. The only safety for the airplane is in its forward and upward motion. The only safe direction for the Christian to take is forward and upward. If he stops or if he begins to slip and go backward, that moment he's in danger. What an amazing way of explaining our life. We're like an airplane. Our motion in order to be in safety, we need to have an upward and a forward motion. As we said, we are stock taking our life. Think about where you are in your walk. Let me quickly conclude, bring this to a conclusion. We talked about seven marks. How do we get there? How do we get there? If you are not, if you are struggling, when you are reflecting on the scripture, you are identifying, yes, I need to grow in this particular area. This mark is missing in my life. How do I get there? Let me give you quickly some, some, uh, some uh, points and then close this. Spiritual food is one of the things that we need nourishment to grow. Staying in Christ, John 15, uh, Jesus talks about, you need to continuously stay in me. You cannot be productive without staying in me. We need to stay rooted all the time in order to grow. You can be here and there, uh, you know, time and again, you can't be growing. You, Paul, Jesus talks about it. We need milk as well as solid food in order to grow in different stages of life. We need spiritual food. Meditation and the application of the word of God, communion with God in prayer, help us to be rooted in Christ. We need to do spiritual exercise if we want to be stronger. 
And most of the spiritually, you know, most of the exercises are painful. I do play badminton and I come back, you know, every time I play, I come back, you know, my whole body sore. But the next morning, I am so challenged up to go to again play more, more time in the, in the, in the field because I love it. Because I know it makes me stronger. Sometimes my older son Hudson comes to me and says, Dad, look at your calf muscles. They are, they are become solid. And I keep telling that it's not comes without pain. It comes with pain. It, it takes exercise to build muscles. The same with Christian life. Challenges are inevitable, but challenges help us to grow. Suffering produces character, Romans 5. While the Christians around the globe are praying for Christians in China because they are going through persecution. You know what Chinese Christians pray? Lord, please do not stop persecution, but give us the grace to grow and thrive. Do we pray that prayer? Paul says, my afflictions, my pain, my suffering has caused me to grow in the Lord. Suffering is not only a time for growth, but also an opportunity to witness. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says that set apart Christ as Lord in your heart and be prepared to give an answer to those who uh, ask you the reason for the hope you have in, in Christ Jesus and do it with gentleness and respect. In what context is Peter writing this? Peter is writing in the context of uh, afflictions and suffering and pain. He says, this is a time to tell people what is the hope you have in Christ. Using that suffering and pain to witness. Thirdly, fellowship with other people we need. I already talked about it. There is no island Christianity. Christian faith cannot be an ascetic religion because it is rooted in the fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. Cross is a symbol of two wooden logs that one points upward, one points sideward, right? Our life is like a crucified life. We have an upward direction and we have a, a horizontal dimension to it. And the horizontal dimension is talking about our fellowship with another people. And lastly, we grow in our giving, our time. And, you know, giving is a clear pointer to growth in maturity. When we start giving, our trust is moving away from ourselves to God. Giving our time, our resources, our finances are helping us to grow in other people. There is a, there is a cap to which you can grow by receiving. If you want to grow further, the only way is giving. I've learned this lesson many years ago and I've kept telling God, God, I want to be a giving Christian. My time, my life, my resources, my finances, I want to be a, an outward focused Christian Lord because that is the only way I can grow more and more in the Lord. Friends, I want to close with this word here. I want you to take a few minutes as I would hand over to Pastor Abraham. Uh, to come bring it to a close by prayer. But I want you to think about this. We talked about seven marks of maturity. You remember all of them? I don't know how many of you have taken any notes about it. But let me tell you seven marks. If you forget everything else, just look at these pointers. Our dependence on God will increase. Number two, we grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Number three, we grow in our discernment. Number four, we start growing in humility. 
Number five, we grow in servanthood. Number six, we start reproducing. Number seven, we continue to grow. We don't come to a halt. These are marks of our maturity. As you celebrate 12 years of your existence as a group of people, community of faith, take this time to reflect on your own life as a church, as families, as small groups, as individuals. Where am I, my walk in maturity to become a mature Christian who reflects Christ's character and his nature? And God bless you with this. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity of sharing the word with you this morning.